Welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast, helping you to forge a lifelong reliance on God. To find out more about the Foundry Church or how to get involved, visit us at thefoundrychurch.com. All right, in 1744, there's a great story about the College of William Mary right here in Virginia. William and Mary, they sent a letter to six Native American chiefs offering a free education to 12 young, brave warriors, right? Now, the chiefs of these tribes, they politely declined this offer with the following letter, all right? They wrote, several of your people were formerly, several of our people were formerly brought up at the colleges of the Northern Providences, they were instructed in all of your sciences, they wrote. All right, but when they came back to us, they were bad runners. They were ignorant of every means of living in the woods. They were unable to bear the, the cold and the hunger of a, a long winter. And then they said they do nothing of how to build a cabin, take a deer, or kill an enemy. They spoke our language imperfectly and were therefore neither fit for hunters, warriors, or counselors, they were totally good for nothing, they said. Now, here's the interesting and fun thing. The letter continued, and the chiefs made an offer of their own. They said, if the gentlemen of Virginia will send us a dozen of their sons, we'll take care of their education, and we'll instruct them in all that we know. And look at this. This is what they said. We'll make men of them. Right? We'll make men of them, they said. Now, Foundry Church, we uh, began last Sunday a new series of sermons that we are calling hashtag squad goals, right? And we're calling it squad goals because it's something that we want to achieve and strive for, right? It's a social media thing that we explained last week, right? It's something that we aspire towards, right? And we figured out that the, the goal that we should have, the goal that we want to have, the goal that we want to share with the world is this, right? The family of God, right? That's our hashtag squad goal the family of God, and that's what we want to be a part of. And today, we're talking about it, and if you haven't guessed yet from that first story, we're talking about the men that make up that squad, right? The men who make up the family of God. So ladies, I'm sorry, all right? This week, it's not for you, all right? So feel free to, to scroll on Facebook, uh, Check out Instagram. We'll get to you next week. I'm just kidding. All right? I, I, want you to, I want you to listen in on this conversation that I'm about to have with the men of the foundry. Right? Uh, it's important for everyone who's forging a lifelong reliance on God, what we're going to look at today. Right? Remember what our mission here at the foundry says. Right? Guiding people to forge a lifelong reliance on God. Right? Guiding people to forge a lifelong reliance on God. So women... Right? You know a man, right? Might be sitting next to one. You, you might have a, a boy, a, ki- a child who someday is going to be a man, right? There's brothers in the kingdom that need this information. And so, in order to guide them in this part of forging a lifelong reliance on God, this is information that we all need to have. Just don't lord it over your husbands, because again, next week we're going to talk about women 
and they'll have a shot back at you. All right, before we begin, I do have to admit something. I I do have to uh, have a moment of complete honesty and be candid with you guys, so here's the truth. All right, this sermon, this message for today was incredibly difficult for me to write. Right, see, you know how hard it is to boil down all the information about masculinity and manhood into one 30-minute sermon. We're going a little longer today. That's why we only sing one song, all right? One 30-minute sermon, right? right? Just 30 minutes to break down all the times the Bible explains what it means to be a man. Listen, right? not to mention the, the danger of, of taking a sermon about manhood and masculinity and working out the, the differences between the biblical definition of manhood and the cultural constructs of manhood, It's a difficult sermon to write and to preach because there's a lot, right? There's a lot of different definitions of what it means to be a man. The the spectrum is big. And the way that we interpret that points on the spectrum are very varied, right? From one person to the next. There's there's just a a lot there. You see, much of what it means to be a man today has been determined by years and years of, of tradition, right? Right? And, and to be clear, the first century Israel's expectations of, of manhood are widely different than the 21st century America's definition of manhood. Right? Again, it's a huge spectrum. There's a lot there, a lot of information. Right? Today, for example, some of us, we hear that first story, right? that story that I just shared, and we think, yeah. That's a man, right? We think, yeah, hunting and fishing. Yeah, we grunt a little bit. We adjust a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? And we say, where have all the good men, have? where have they gone? Where are they? Right? We, we, we think that. But then, then others here today, and I, I'm, you know, I can see your facial expressions, and, and you hear that story, and you cringe a little bit. Right? Again, it's a, it's a big spectrum, right? Because you, you cringe because some of you in this room or watching online, you've been hurt by, by boys, no matter what their age, who claim to be men, right? Boys who, who claimed that to be manly meant that you had to hunt and do this and, and didn't care about who got in their way or what got in their way or, or being a man meant that you had to be a good liar or that you were even physically abusive. That meant being a good man. There's just a lot of definitions and, and a large spectrum on this topic. Right? Being a, a man, a, a true man has been a... It become a thing that is complex. It, it's, it's even a little messy when you talk about masculinity. It's even a, a painful thing for some in this world. Right? For example, another example, right, that just expresses the, the gap that we're talking about here. Recently, a video that was created all the way back in 2015 recently became viral on social media. Just this last year, in this video, it was made by Cut.com, they asked men and boys between the ages of 5 and 50 what it means to be a man. Now, I'm not going to show you the video today because it's, it's pretty long, but here are some of my favorite answers that they got in this video, right? The first one, a 5-year-old, their definition of manhood, you have to act tough. All right, that's their definition. All right, the next one, right? a 20-year-old says, focused. That's their definition. They said, focus. To be a man, you need to be focused and strong and have a good understanding of the world around you so you can become a better person. All right, that's their definition. The next one, 
It was from a 24-year-old that says, someone who can be a hero to someone. That's their definition of manhood. Again, a lot, right? And then a 50-year-old said this, you have to be strong. Right? Their definition of manhood is, is be strong, don't let someone push you around, and be kind to women. Again, a lot of different, different definitions. But my favorite is from this seven-year-old who said this. And they said it like this. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What are you asking? <laughs> right? Right? There's a lot there. It's a, it's a big spectrum, a lot of different definitions, right? There is an overwhelming amount of information regarding uh, what it means to be a man. There just is. But here's the thing. <laughs> Right? The, the fun thing, the cool thing, right? It's almost as if God had planned it this way. There's a story in Scripture that gives us the perfect picture. It paints the perfect picture of what it means to be a man in this world. Right? It's almost as if he planned it, right? There's, it's the perfect picture of what it means to be a father, to be a husband, to be a, a student, to be a man in this world. So... If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to 1 Kings, and that's where we're going to be. 1 Kings chapter 2, it's in the Old Testament, and as you're turning there, remember, you can use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you, and you can take those Bibles with you. They are free for you to give, to use, to take, to use as an invite for somebody, they're for you to study with, to have. You can use those Bibles, 1 Kings in the Old Testament, and you can also use the Foundry Burke app. It's on the QR code on back of the chairs there. You scan that or you scan there in the comments if you're watching online. You, you go to that app. There's a tab that says announcements. There's sign-ups. There's announcements about uh, baptisms and information prayer request page. But there's also a Bible tab. It's kind of like the central hub of information for the church. There's a Bible tab. You click that Bible tab and today's scripture is already pulled up there for you. So as you're opening that up, 1 Kings chapter 2 or downloading the app, it'll only take you a few seconds. Let me give you a little bit of context for today's scripture. All right, both of the books of Kings, there's a 1st and a 2nd Kings in the Old Testament, tell the history of the kingdom of Israel and Judea during what we would call the monarch period of their history. All right, makes sense, right? It's the, the portion of Israel's history where they had kings or a monarch other than the first two kings of their nation, King Saul and King David, right? So first kings, right, begins at the end of King David's life. In fact, the very first verse of the book says this, <laughs> when David was old, and well advanced in years, he could not keep warm even when they put covers over him. That's how the book begins, right? David was in the always bring a sweater along portion of his life. Right? You, some of you guys know what I'm talking about, right? No matter where you go, no matter the temperature, you bring a sweater along just in case, right? right so David's getting up there in age. He's old. Right? He's getting up there, and, and because of his age, and because he's getting near death, right, one of his sons tries to take his throne by force. Right? Tries to take his, his kingdom by force. And David, King David, puts the old kibosh on that rather quickly. Right? He doesn't have any of that. He doesn't, doesn't even think about it. Right? He says, nope. And so therefore he makes Solomon, his other son, the next king of Israel. And that is where we pick up today in chapter 2, right? David has all of his affairs in order, right? The, the kingdom is set, 
Uh, it's ready for a new king. He's ready to buy the big farm in the sky. He's ready, right? He's ready to pass away. And this is his last words to his son, right? First Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says this. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth, right? Dust to dust, like he's going to die. So be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. What? Right? With his last recorded words of one of the greatest men who ever lived, who ever walked this planet, with his last recorded words of, of a father to a son, the last recorded words of a, of a great king to his heir, the next king, he says these things. I mean, of all the things he could have said to his son, all the advice he could have given, David tells his son to do three things, right? He says, he says be strong. And he says, show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God. Those three things are the last remarks he makes to his son. Be strong. Show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God. Listen, like I said, right? There's a lot there. The definition of masculinity, of what men are supposed to do and be. And after seeing everything I read, everything I heard, everything that I've been praying about, those three things, these three things perfectly sum up for us, show us how we can be a man of God, how we can encourage the men in our lives to be the men of God if we're a woman. How we can raise our sons, right? These three things. Be strong. Show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God. Right? That, that's how the family of God is a squad goal, right? It's how we best implement our part of being a part of the family of God, of being a part of that squad. So let's, let's peel this onion, all right? Let's peel this onion and look at these things and break them down and find out just what David and God are saying to us. I'm going to go out of order, and I'm going to start with this one. Right? Show yourself a man. Right? Show yourself a man. David's saying this to his son. And many, many theologians, many scholars, they always make the point to say, David is not telling his son to be a male. <laughs> right? That's kind of funny, right? He's not saying uh, to his son, Solomon, be a male. Because that would be a little weird, right, and, and kind of unnecessary. Right? That's not what he's saying. He's saying he's not saying just be a male. He, he's he's saying show yourself a man. Instead, David was directing his son Solomon to be all that it means to be a man of God, right? In the original language, the phrase "show yourself a man" paints a bigger picture. It, it means something more similar to uh, become what it means to be an exceptional man. Right, to, to become what it means to be an exceptional man. So either way you say it, all right, both phrases start with a verb, an action, the idea of doing something. Right? My, my fifth grade English teacher is going to be proud of me, right? 
a verb, right? It's doing something. It's the idea of doing something. The emphasis here is placed on the idea of living out or demonstrating or acting out the characteristics of true manhood. Because you see, when David says, show yourself a man, he's meaning this. Men of God take action. Right? He's saying, men of God, take action. When he's saying to his son, show yourself a man, he's saying, take action. Right? And, you know, you've probably heard the old phrase, actions speak louder than words, right? You've heard that phrase, actions speak louder than words? Well, that's, that's what we're talking about here. Actions speak louder than words. Men of God take action, right? In the book of Daniel, it puts it like this. It says, those who know their God shall stand firm. Those who know their God shall stand firm and take action. All this is calling us to do something. And when I say do something, I'm not talking about the things that are usually associated with masculinity. All right? All right, Man, there is nothing manly about drinking more beer than the guy next to you, right? So much beer, in fact, that you, you black out or you throw up, right? That does not make you a man, right? There's, there's nothing manly about dominating women or lording authority over them or, or treating your wife like a servant or having a, a child with your girlfriend and then leaving that, that mother to take care of the child all by herself. Like that, that's not manly, right? right? Even the things that men typically enjoy doing, uh, that aren't necessarily bad don't make you a man, right? Things like there's, there's nothing inherently uh, manly about getting a, a new video game and mastering it, right? Or, or playing a sport. There's nothing manly about that, right? Manners don't make the man either, right? There's, there's nothing super manly about watching sports or, or building a fire or smoking cigars or, or looking good in a suit or, or eating a lot of food, There's nothing manly about those things. While these things are not inherently evil, they are by no means what makes a man, right? Sure, I I enjoy building a fire. That's why we're actually having lunch outside this Sunday, because I'm sick of being inside, right? So we're going to roast hot dogs, right? And I, I enjoy smoking a cigar, but these are not the kind of things that I'm talking about when I say men of God take action, Right? What we're talking about is this. We're we're talking about worshiping God with abandon, with no reservations. We're we're talking about studying the word of God, not just to check off a box on our to-do list, but to allow it to transform us. So we read the book, we read the Bible, we dig into it, we savor it. We're talking about loving our, our wives with passion and care. Raising our kids to, to love and to serve the Lord before anything else in their lives. Right? Men of God take action. They, they love their neighbor, even if their neighbor is a little bit different than they are. Or sits on a different side of the political aisle than they do. Or come from a different area than they do. Right? Men, of, men of God take action. They take care of the widows and the orphans like God calls us to. Men of God uh, take action. They don't sit around for the lost person to come to them. They go out and tell the world about Jesus, their Savior and their Redeemer, the God that they're forging their life on, and they share that truth with the world. Men of God take action. Right? They, they teach. They minister. 
right? To their, their wife, to their girlfriend, to their, their children, right? They take responsibility. They don't expect someone else to do it for them, right? That is how you show yourself a man. You get up, you take action, you do something, you do the work of taking a hammer to the anvil and forge your life on God from the top to the bottom, right? Now, the next statement that David makes to his son is this, right? We're really the first one in the, in, when we read it is be strong, right? He says, be strong, right? The, this phrase is the same thing that Moses said to Joshua when Moses was handing over the leadership of Israel to Joshua before they went into the promised land, right? Both David and Moses, two of the greatest men of the Bible, uh, thought it was so important to be strong as a man of God. That is one of the last things they said to their successors. Why? It's because of this, right? When they say be strong, they're saying men of God must fight. Men of God must fight, right? Think about it, right? And it's not in the traditional sense of a drunken bar fight, and not in the sense that you probably should learn karate or take up boxing or join the the UFC, although that would be kind of cool. That's not what they're talking about. I think Moses and David knew that when men of God take action, when they do something, it oftentimes is going to be a bit of a struggle, there's going to be some work. There's going to be some fighting. Right? Think of Moses' life, right? Moses was asked by God to get God's people out of, out of Egypt. All right? He was asked to get God's people out of Egypt. Right? And so Moses had to go back to Egypt, to where he was born, back to a, a place that he hated, that had bad memories, and fight for the people of God. Right? He, had to, he had to stand before Pharaoh time after time and fight for the freedom of God's people. Right? He, had to, he had to be strong to do that, right? He had to be strong. Sure, sure, there was no fist and cuffs thrown between Moses and Pharaoh that we know of. Right? It would have been kind of interesting. But there was definitely a fight, right? There was definitely a fight. And David, he, he saw God's people being tormented by a giant, right? We know the story. He had to stand up when no one else would stand up. And he had to fight a literal giant for the sake of God's people. Sometimes being a, a man of God means fighting. It really does, right? It means standing up when everyone else is sitting down. So you need to be strong, strong in spirit, strong in physical health, yes, but also strong in the Lord, right? Look look at it like this, right? Yesterday was the 20th anniversary of September 11th, right? A day that we'll never forget. And on that day, there was story after story of men and women who took action, And one story showed a man who took action and had tremendous strength, and he fought back with that tremendous strength, right? His name was uh, Todd Beamer, and Todd was on Flight 93 from Newark to San Francisco when it was hijacked by the terrorist, right? We know the story. Todd, uh, he didn't want to worry his wife, and so he called the company that managed the phones, on United Plains, a company called GTE, and at GTE, this lady, uh, Lisa Jefferson, answered the phone. And he talked to her for over 12 minutes, 
And together, they both showed some strength, right? They recited Psalms 23, and then they prayed together, and then they got off the phone, and at the end of the call, he said this to those sitting around him, are you guys ready? Let's roll, right? And to the guys around him, he said, are you ready, guys? Let's roll. And with that, he and a group of passengers took down the hijackers and the plane before it reached our area, right? D.C., Right? They, they lost their life, but they saved countless others in the process. They stood strong. Right? They, they fought evil. That's what men of God do. They fight. That's why we need to be strong. And that's what David is saying to his son. Right? A man of God, they, they build up their household. Right? They, they build it up. They do the right things. They, they might wrestle around with their sons. They, they might go and they might sit down to a tea party with their daughters and they sip tea. All that shows strength. But when it push comes to shove, they have to grab the sword and be ready to grab the sword by the hilt. And they have to fight against the agents of darkness and fight like it says in Ephesians 6. Put on the full armor of God. Be a godly warrior who sleeps in his armor. So you got to be strong. <laughs> David knew this. And that's why he's, he's sharing this with his son. I mean, just look through the pages of Scripture, and you can read about uh, man after man after man of God who who time after time they, they picked up their sword or their, their, their spear or their slingshot or they used their words to fight for the people of God and fight for the least of these in our world. I and mean, listen to what it says. Just listen to what it says about some of these men of God and how they fought in Hebrews chapter 11 where it says this, right? It's talking about some famous men of God in Scripture. It's kind of summing up what their attitudes are, what they, what they do. And it says this in verse 33. It says, who through faith, these men, who through faith conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They uh, obtained promises. These men of God with strength, right? They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of, of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weaknesses. They became mighty in war, putting foreign armies to flight. It says women received back their dead by resurrection. Some of these men were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life, so that they may rise again and fight for what is right. Fight for their king, for God, right? I mean, these men of God who who actively fought for glory and for honor and immortality through strength, strength found in, in forging a lifelong reliance on God. They, they were men of God who risked much, they lost much, and gained more because they fought. I mean, just listen to a few of these guys that, that are in that, that are part of that summary, right? Jacob wrestled, right? Jacob literally wrestled with God to get an answer to get a blessing, right? Joshua, he fought, right? He fought to get into the promised land. Uh, Elijah, he mocked and, and, and brought about truth when he mocked the, the fake gods, the idols of, of other nations, right? He showed truth. 
Nehemiah was just downright violent sometimes. Paul called out false teachers. And Jesus, the Son of God, made a whip and turned over tables in the temple. Listen, I think we sometimes picture Jesus just as a, a kind man who let the little children come to him, as it says. And that is so true. And that is a form of strength that we're going to talk about in just a minute. Right? But we can't leave him there all the time. Right? But when it, when it was good, when it was righteous, he often fought. Just listen to some of the things that the Bible says about him. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it says, He destroyed arguments, even lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. And Isaiah says he crushed the dragon's skull and yet did not break or bruise a reed. Right? And then we know that he went to Calvary, a name for a mountain of death. Right? He went to Calvary not because of niceness. He didn't go to the cross because of niceness. He went outside of his camp, outside of the garden, to die among thieves and garbage, not because he, he, he was nice, but because he burned with a passion for his bride, the church. He burned with a passion for his father's name, right? And for his own glory, as it says in John 17 and in Romans chapter 3 and all over 1 Peter. He fought. Listen, when our, man, when our faith, when our faith is wavering because of life's circumstances, we have to stand up and we have to fight to keep it. Right? When our, our family is being lost to the busyness, we have to fight for time together, for, for the right things that we know. When our relationships are breaking down because of our own stupidity, because of our own wandering eye, because of our addiction to porn, because of our own affair that we've had, we have to fight to save our marriage. We have to fight for what is good and right and just, sometimes with our fists and sometimes with our words, but all the time with prayer and the spiritual disciplines that are laid out for us. However we fight, we do it with all that we have. Right, that is why we need to be strong. Right? Strong in the Lord, strong physically, and yes, strong in the Spirit of God. Now, the last thing right, that, that David said to his son is, is this, right? Keep charge of the Lord your God. Now, when I first read that, I'm like, okay, that's a little weird. All right, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you read the Bible and you think, that sounds a little backwards. Right? That's this phrase. Right. To me, it sounded a little backwards, right? Like, what, what does this mean? And when you look at it, of all places, it's used quite a bit in the book of Numbers in the Old Testament, over and over again, in fact. And it, it is used, this phrase, in connection with the care and the oversight of the, the, the tabernacle, the, the tent of meeting that the, the wandering Israelites had. Right? It's used in regards to that tent, that tent the, the tabernacle. Right? For, for Solomon, so this phrase, when David, his dad, said it to him, would have been very familiar. He would have known the context. It would have made clear sense to him. It wouldn't have sounded a little backwards. Right? When his dad was telling him this, he got it. Right? You see, Solomon was charged by his father, David, and by God to build the temple. A new place of meeting. To build the, the place where God would reside right, in this old covenant, in the, the Old Testament. The place where God would live among his people. 
right? To, to build the church, as we would call it for the Israelites in today's time, right? Right, so, so here David is really saying, right, do not forget that the Lord has called you to oversee, right, to, to, to make sure that you take care of this kingdom, of the temple, of the people, right? Essentially, David, King David is saying to the, his son, take care of what God has given you, the responsibilities that God has given you. Watch over them, build them up, right, steward them well, right? and so here's the final lesson. Right? When, when they say, keep charge of the Lord your God, they're saying, men of God, protect your outpost. Right? Protect your outpost. Right? Men of God, you got to protect your outpost. I was, uh, you know, humble brag here. I was pretty good at football back in the day, right? I was pretty good at football back in the day, and I played for years all through college, and I even coached for many years here in Virginia for a football, high school football. And when I was coaching, I had some players who, who were studs, right? They were really good football players. They were athletic. They, were, they, were, they had all the ability. They had the skills, and, and they could do it for the most part, right? And then I had another group of players who weren't as good physically. They weren't as good athletes, but they had heart, right? They had heart, and they cared, and they worked hard, and so therefore they were successful too. But the problem was, as a coach, no matter which group I was talking about or which group was playing, neither or any of them in those groups had what you would call a brain, all right? They didn't. They just didn't, right? They didn't, right? At least when it came to football IQ. <clears throat> For example, once they figured out, these players, once they figured out who to hit or who to tackle, no matter what group they were in, they could get the job done. Once they figured out who to hit, who to tackle, they could do the job. But, right, the problem was the important revelation of, of figuring out who to hit or who to tackle seldom came to them until the ball carrier was halfway down the field, already past them, right? Usually already in the end zone scoring a touchdown. So let's just say, as a coach, I was usually less than pleased, all right? I was usually less than pleased with my team, and one day, and to be honest, really every day, in complete frustration at practice, uh, as coaches, we would literally uh, drag and push the players and pull them around an imaginary perimeter, right? right? If you played football in high school, you know what I'm talking about, right? I'm dragging them by their face mask. I'm pushing them over here. I'm showing them an imaginary box, and I would, I would yell at them. I would say, this and pull them around and drag them around, right? Is your territory. I, I would show them their territory over and over again. This is your territory. And I would say, no one, right? No one goes through this territory with the ball. And I would say that over and over again. I'd pull them and I'd drag them. I'd, I would show them how their, their territory expands and, and contracts and it moves and it shifts. And I would say, never, never, not even once, let someone through the territory with the ball. And we would yell and we would say, if it's going to happen, if it happens, if someone goes through your territory with the ball, you're going to wish you'd never been born. Right? We would yell at them. We'd say, you got it? You dummy? We wouldn't say dummy. Right? We'd say, you got it? Right? And we were showing them their gap. 
We were showing them what happened when the gap moved, that they had to move, right? The, the problem with most young football players is, is they get lost in trying to anticipate plays or, or they get lost with trying to read looks with whatever that means or, or they do unintelligible things like string the play out instead of just making the play, right? And as coaches, pulling them and dragging them, it would remind them that you have to keep it simple, stupid, Right? You have to keep it simple, right? And that's why we would boil it down just for each individual player by saying, this is your territory. Own it, guard it, guard its borders, protect it, repel invaders, hunt down any threat and disarm it. That's what David is saying to his son, Solomon, right? You have been given a territory, the temple, these people, this kingdom. You've been given these things by God to tend to, to care for, to build up. You gotta own it. You gotta, you gotta protect it. You gotta steward it well. It's your outpost. So when David says, keep the charge of the Lord your God, he's saying protect your outpost. And, and listen, Foundry, all right? One of our, our values, one of our measures, the things that we're striving for is realizing that we're all leaders, right? So we need to be living a legacy and we need to be a leader worth following <laughs> because we've all been given a territory. We all have an outpost, a place to defend and to care for that's been given to us by God himself. And men of God, they protect it. They keep the charge of the Lord their God. One of my favorite authors, Stephen Mansfield, he puts it like this, talking to some younger guys. He says, some of you are just start, starting out in life, and all you have is a, a dorm room and your backpack. He says, that's okay. <laughs> Take care of it, right? Get up in the morning, make your bed, read your Bible, face the day, right, with action, right? If you go on a date, you understand that you are responsible, he says, not because the woman cannot protect herself, but because you asked her out. So you, you, you take on the responsibility of taking that woman, that child of God, on a date. So you protect the night. Right? You make sure you can pay for dinner. You make sure you have gas in the car. You make sure that you do not violate uh, her boundaries or the boundaries of God. You protect your outpost in the kingdom of God. Now, I'm looking here, and there's some of you who are past the dorm room and backpack stage. <laughs> a little further on in life. You have a wife, maybe children, a house, a workplace, a neighborhood, a church, right? Now listen, don't whine. Don't whine. Don't whine about having too much to do, too much responsibility, because listen, much is given, much is required. All right? Right? So protect your outposts. Keep the charge of the Lord your God. That's what you're called to do. If your children are, are facing issues because of the things they watch on TV or whatever it is or, or the friends that they have or the, the social media platforms they are on, protect them. Right? Take the TV away or whatever it is. Do the hard thing. Take the phone away. Spend time with them. Now here's a crazy idea. Maybe if that's using that example, if that's the thing and you got to take that away for some time, social media, for example, maybe you do it all together, your family as a squad, right? Like we're talking about, right? So you can support each other and be there for one another. You do whatever it takes. 
You know, one of the toughest things for me to see is men who claim to be men of God, but they let their wives bear all the burden at home. Right? You guys know the picture, right? You know the picture. A dad sitting in his recliner in the living room. His feet are up on the, on the ottoman, right? He's got Cheeto stains on his T-shirt. His remote is in his hand, right? He's yelling at his kids to bring him another beer and a sandwich as his wife runs around the house exhausted and worn. Right? They, they, this man, this type of man, this boy, whine about how their kids uh, don't keep the house clean and, and how their kids always bring so much drama into his life. Uh, he's whining that his wife doesn't cook good meals and that she's not ready for him in bed with a new piece of lingerie every night of the week. Right? This is not a man of God who's protecting his home, right? his, his outpost in the kingdom. Right? You're not keeping the charge that you've been given. Right? You also got to think of it like this, right? right? We don't own the people in our outpost. We don't own the things that we've been given, right? God does. He's just put them in our care. We're responsible for them. He's charged them to us to care for, to steward well, to build up. Right? What, would it, what would it look like if you took some time each day to open a journal, and yes, journaling is manly, right? What if, you, what if you took some time each day, just sat down, took five minutes, and you asked God, what do you have for my outpost? You read a few scriptures, and you just asked God, what do you have for my outpost? What if our, our gifts, our talents, our resources, our abilities, our things, just the the things we have were pointed toward our children, our our wives, our our neighbors, our our church, the kingdom of heaven before anything else, right? I mean, we've all been given gifts and talents, resources and abilities. And for some dumb, stupid reason, we often point those things at everything else in this world other than the outpost that the Lord, that we're forging our life on, has put us in. We use all that stuff for other things. I mean, what if we helped with the laundry and dishes? Whoa. Right? It's getting crazy in here. Right? What if we did that? What if we, what if we created a family vision statement or a list of, of family values? What if we created a, a weekly Sabbath day that was just for you and your family and there could be no activities on that day? Right? What if we took to heart what it says in God's word where it says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So it doesn't matter if we think we have the next Tiger Woods or Michael Jordan. We're going to have a Sabbath. And we're going we're to invest in things of eternal importance and not things of earthly importance because the things of eternity are forever and the things of this world will fade away like dust. So here's the big picture, men. It is the job of a man of God to know the borders of his outposts that are assigned to him. And they move, right? We grow. We have different responsibilities. You got to know what you're responsible for. You got to know what boundaries that you're guarding. You got to know what forces, whether they are physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, or intellectual, that are going to attack it. And you must stand against that. And you must fight like we said. 
right? Once a, a man of God knows the things that God has placed in and requires of him, it is his job to guard those borders, to assure the safety, to provide for the outpost, and to fill it with grace and truth. Again, things of eternal importance, not things of earthly importance, right? For, for some, I get it, this may sound old-fashioned, right? Andrew went off the rocker here, right? But is it really old-fashioned to protect, to love, to, to serve, to guide, and honor the things and the people in our lives? Is that really old-fashioned? Because that's what men of God do. Look, look, right? When, <laughs> take action, fight, protect their outpost. What men of God do. They, they take action, they fight for what is right, and they protect their outpost. Right? That is how we do what David said to his son, right? Be strong, show yourself a man, keep the charge of the Lord your God. That's how we accomplish that. And this is how men of God contribute to the squad, to the, the family of God, to their families here on earth. Right? That is how the family of God becomes a hashtag squad goal, right? Something that people want to be a part of, something that we want to aspire and to share with the world. You know, here's what else is cool, though. You know what else happens when you work to be a man of God in the family of God? When you work to be a man of God in the family of God, you get a family, right? You get a family, not just the the family of God, but you actually get another squad within the squad. You get like a a mini squad, right? You You get brothers, right? Brothers in the family of God. And this is really the final thing that reveals a true man of God. Look, men of God, they have an iron council, the men of God, you have an iron council. Let me, let me explain it like this. Like our, our strategy says, right? We gather at the altar each week where we worship and we remember Jesus' sacrifice through communion, but then we, we step up to the table. That's where we do life together, where we invite each other over for dinner, where we have groups and meetings and meals like we have today, just opportunities to kind of dig in a little bit into life, right? We step up to the table, right? You have to have those that you can count on. That's what it means. You have to have those people in your life that you can count on. Now, I would be remiss. I wouldn't be a good pastor. I wouldn't be a good preacher. If, if I wouldn't be tending my post, right, my outpost, or stewarding it well, if, if I left the stage today without saying this. Men, we are never asked to do these things on our own. <laughs> when David says, show yourself a man, so take action. When he says, uh, be strong, because there's going to be some fights. When he says, uh, to keep the charge of the Lord your God, so you better protect your outpost. When he says those things, we're not supposed to do those by ourselves. Right? In fact, time after time, when we look at the men of God in Scripture, in the Bible, we will see that they were not alone. Right? I mean, David had Jonathan and, and Moses had Aaron, right? And, and, and for example, Moses, he had a staff. And during a particular battle, he, the Lord said, as long as you're holding that staff up in the air, 
you're going to win the war. You're going to win the battle. Right? So Moses is up on this mountain. He's looking down at the battle, and his arms are getting tired, and the staff starts to fall, and people are, uh, his friends, his family, his soldiers are starting to die because he can't keep his arms up in the air. Right? So, so his, his brother, his iron counsel, Aaron, comes behind him and lifts his arms up. Right? Lifts Moses' arms up because he doesn't have the strength anymore, and they win the battle. No more dying of their, their, their family. No more dying of their fellow soldiers. Right? Uh, Elijah, that we read about, he has Elisha, and Jesus had his disciples. Men of, of God become men of God by surrounding themselves with other men who are doing the same thing, forging their life on God. They form an iron council. Nothing I've ever done, I've been successful at by myself. I've always had help. I've always had support. I've always had someone praying for me. I always had someone that would, would tell me when I'm stupid or help me make a decision, right? Most men today, and this is sad, they don't have a best friend. They don't have a best friend, right? Or, or if they do, their friend lives thousands of miles away, and really it was a best friend from like 20 years ago, right? Or, or statistics even say that most men today simply say that their best friend is their wife. <laughs> I love my wife. She's amazing, she's smart, she's funny, she's very talented, and she's beautiful, but she is not my best friend. She's just not, right? right? She's, she's not a, a man, right? She's my wife. It's a different relationship, right? A different, uh, a different relationship. There are things that, that she'll never understand about being a man, and there are a lot of things that I will never understand about being a woman. So men, we need an iron council, we need an iron council where we step up to the table and forge a life on God, where we live our best life, a life that is forged on God, right? We need someone who will challenge us, who will tell us that we're stupid or that we're, we're checking out the backside of the waitress too much at lunch, right? We need, we need someone who's going to say those things in our life, right? We need someone who's going to sit with our families when there's something wrong happening to us, right? We need someone who we can count on to be there when we need them to be there, we can't do this by ourselves. Just can't. We can't do this alone, and we, we shouldn't even try. Right? Lonely men is a plague in our time. It is. I mean, surveys confirm it. Medical studies confirm it. Uh, the male suicide rate <laughs> confirms it going up each and every year. Right? When we were kids, it was easy. Right? We had a group of friends that we called our own. We played at recess together, kickball, baseball, football, whatever, right? Then we grew up a little bit, and we joined a, a team or a club at school. And then after that, we went, to a, we went to college where we were a part of a, a fraternity or we had a roommate. Uh, maybe we were a part of a different club or an organization. Right? And then adulthood comes, right? And some people move. Friends who used to stop by every day stopped coming by so often, Right, uh, people who used to meet up with each other on the weekends just get busy. Doesn't happen as much. And then somewhere along the way, we start believing our own hype. Right? We start believing in our own hype that we can do this on our own. We start believing that we can forge a life on God on our own, that we can live our best life however we define it on our own without the help of others. We believe our own hype. Guys, men, don't believe it. You're not that good. I'm not that good. No one's that good. We can't do it on our own. So this 
is it, men. Right, this is your assignment, your first action to show yourself a man. Right? Find another man of God, another person working to become a man of God, a man who's forging their life on God and form an iron council. Step up to the table. Right? There doesn't need to be an agenda other than you're there for each other. You pray for each other. You answer questions when someone has a question. And it could be deep things about scripture. Or it could be like, hey, your yard looks really good. I don't know how to even turn an engine on for my lawnmower. It's just being there for each other. Right? The, the truth is this. This will not happen on its own. Right? An iron council achieving these things that we talked about won't happen on its own. Right? Men will not just show up at the door and say, hey, you want to hang out? That's not how it works. Right? Not anymore. You have to take action. You have to have uh, some friendships that you need to rekindle. Maybe there's some friendships that you need to kind of trim a little bit because they're holding you back from being a man of God. Whatever it is, you, you can't do this alone. So you got to find that, that group. Right? Build a group. And here's what's easy. May I, just might I suggest right, coming to our men's night on the first Thursday of every month. Right? That's, that's our iron council. That's, that's a good place to start. We might, I'm going to even call it an iron council from here on out. Look at that. Right? Right? Look at that. Love it when a plan comes together. Right? But that's where we come together. It's a good place to start. It's our iron council, and it can be your iron council. It's where we do this. Right? The stuff that we just talked about, right? It's where we, where we like look, right? Where we, where we achieve these things, where we are strong together, where we encourage each other in that, where we show ourselves a man, where we take charge of the Lord your God, right? You do these things. You accomplish these things. You achieve these things by the next slide here, by doing this, right? Taking the action, uh, fighting when necessary, by protecting your outpost, by stewarding the things that God has given you. And you do these things, right? The, to the best of your ability, you achieve these things at the optimal level when you have an iron council, right? You might be able to hit one or two of those on your own for a time, for a season. But not if you don't have an iron council. You're not going to succeed at an optimum level. And that's what we're talking about. So as they are getting set, as they're getting ready, listen, as we sing this next song, as we worship in God with one more song, as we give our tithes and our offerings and, and, and talk about, uh, about that and how that's worship, uh, men, you got to do these things. And, and it's accomplished through an iron council. Right, so as we, as we stand, go ahead and stand, and as we sing and worship here for another minute, make that commitment to be a part of an iron council to forge your life on God with other men who have the same interest and have your back. Let's worship now.